And uh, welcome to Willow Park Church. I'm um, Pastor Phil. If it is your first time and you're just visiting or checking us out, uh, do say hello when you leave. Uh, grab a coffee, have a natter, say I'm new, I'm checking you out. And then I'll talk to you and sign you up for the rest of your life. Um, But seriously, uh, we want to give you a massive welcome. Summer is summer. People come, people go. And through the summer, we're preaching our way through the minor prophets. So that each weekend, we try and deal with a minor prophet so that you can dip in and out. And so we started our journey, of course, with Hosea. The great story of the prophet with the northern accent from a good old northern kingdom of Israel who married Goma, who became adulterous, who ended up being trafficked and becoming a prostitute, who ended in the slave market, who Hosea went and purchased back a cheery sermon. Uh, But a very clear message of God's compelling love that he compels and seeks after us and every one of us has been in the slave market but the kingdom of God and the work of Calvary and the work of the cross has set us free from being slaves to becoming sons and daughters of the king of kings and the lord of lords so then as we look at these prophets we understand their message we look at Joel what a great name Joel I have a really little funny story. My, my cousin, uh, who is a, uh, a referee in the uh, Worldwide Wrestling uh, Federation, he's, um, he's called Afro. Fro is his name. He's in New York and different places. He's Michelle's cousin, actually, because his father's from Barbados and he has this massive Afro. And... Um, He's, he's, not really, he's not in faith, although we did win him finally. But I always remember him saying to me, his name's Joel. He said, what are you going to call your son when it comes? I said, uh, Josiah. He goes, really? He said, isn't that a Jewish name? I said, yes, Joel, it is. Um, <laughs> and the years that the... Uh, uh, that the locusts have eaten, the Lord promises with a repentant heart, with a heart that is open, God can restore the years that those locusts have eaten. And for many of us, we know the years that the locusts have eaten and we know that he can restore those. And so we explore Joel and the great prophetic moment of, of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on all flesh. And the promise that we can know this and learn the day of the Lord is mentioned so much in Joel. And then, of course, we moved on to Amos. Amos from south of Jerusalem, the missionary to the north, ended up in Bethel where he preached about how God hated their worship, how God hated the uh, superficiality of how they approached sin, how God... Uh, disliked the way they treated the poor and the needy and how God wanted their hearts to change and this great missionary who learned to intercede, a marketplace leader who ran a whole team of, of shepherds in the south, uh, ran a, um, 
an orchard of, of course, uh, olives. And there, and there, from his marketplace leader position, as a local businessman in a small community, God called him to go north to another country as it was at that time and to preach and to declare God's kingdom. And it was encouraging to me how God can take us in our place of work as marketplace leaders and as we walk the hills and manage our staff and involved in all of these things, God through prayer can show us what our goal is, what our mission is and what our vision is. So we're on to number four now. Obadiah. Has anybody ever heard a sermon from Obadiah? (laughs) I've been asking people wandering around, what's Obadiah about? Uh, What's what's going on in Obadiah? Do you know? No. Uh, Into Starbucks, what's going on in Obadiah? We don't have that drink, sir. Um, Obadiah. I heard that there is even a children's song about Obadiah. I said to God, what do you think about Obadiah? And he said to me, who's Obadiah? And so he's the smallest book in the Bible, 21 verses, Obadiah. And let me take you back and explain to you about Obadiah. And so we understand the journey with Obadiah. To really understand um, Obadiah, you understand that God will punish Edom. Now, of course, the theme that you've noticed about these prophets is that they're into judgment, punishment, repentance, coming kingdom, God's moving in power. So it's difficult as we work through them each week to, to pick up themes, but you're getting the general idea that God does not like sin and God does not like rebellion. But the story of Obadiah really starts back right at the beginning. We have to go back to a family tree. We all love family trees. We like to know where we've come from. We like to know which country. You can even do a DNA test and work out where you came from, wherever around the world, yes? It's exciting. And usually you can work it out anyway because you kind of roughly know. I know in England that if I can trace my family back to 200 years to that spot, then the last thousand years we've been there because people didn't move around. Well, we have to trace this back to the place of, and the man of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, Sarah, of course, got married. God promised a mighty nation. God said, I'm going to bless you. The problem was Sarah was barren and she was 90, but God promised her a child. Don't you love the promises of God? And if you're 90 here, you can claim that promise in the name of Jesus. Maybe one promise you do not want to claim. When everybody says there's 700 promises in the Bible, some of them don't bother. You, you claim the promises that God speaks to you and whispers you in your heart through Scripture. It's not a formula. So, of course, we know the story. Gave birth, birth to Isaac. Isaac grew up and married Rebecca. And they had twins. That's not easy. There are a number of parents here with twins. And I pray for you. And I love you. My twins are now 19. So pray for me. (laughs) 
and the car insurance. Um, but gave birth to twins, Jacob and Esau. And really the story of Obadiah is about the hatred and the depth of two nations between Israel and between the Edomites that takes place. And the prophecy is about the attitude and the heart of what became Esau's line and Esau's nation came out and this was the judgment of Edom, which is the country of Esau, which is that nation of the battling between the two twins and the battling of their inner hatred and their position and how that destroyed them. And the prophecy is based what around uh, 600 BC, uh, uh, around the period of the great Babylonian invasion, the great moment of the exile, and they were taken away. But what is it really about? Well, it's about Edom, which was a country kind of south, southeast of below the Dead Sea. And it's high country. It's fortress country. It's not easily won over. It is, in relatively terms at its height, it is about 5,000 feet above Judea. And so the house of Esau and the nation there had grown. They were, felt they were invincible. They felt that they were special. They felt that they were there. And they looked down on Judah and Israel and saw that all that was taking place. And as they looked down, they despised them. And I'm going to talk to you from this book about the most dangerous, the most poisonous, the most despised by God attitude you can talk of which arises in Scripture again and again. Interesting, it is a sin that very few people, if ever I can remember, praying with somebody coming to my office and saying, Pastor Phil, I want to pray and talk about this sin. This particular sin, this particular attitude is so poisonous to the spiritual life of a Christian that it can utterly and completely wreck you, bring you down, destroy your family, destroy your career, destroy your life and like the mighty Edomites can take you from your great fortresses and bring you down to nothing and to your knees. See, I will make you small amongst the nations and you'll be utterly despised. See, they were high above the nations. They were above Judah. They felt that they were uncatchable. They were a nation of warriors. They were a nation of jocks. They were a nation, Esau was like that. He was fit. He was a hunter. They were 
aggressive. They were a powerful little nation that punched a big punch in the ancient world. But God looks at them and says, this, see, I will make you small. Now, why did they deserve to be made small? He says, the pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rocks, up in the, um, in the clefts and in the, in the hill forts. And of course, Petra in, in Jordan is the land. Petra wasn't um, part of this story at this, in that way, but they have the, the rocks and the forts and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? We are strong. We are awesome. We are amazing. Though you soar like eagles there, like eagles flying in the sky, you are glorious and wonderful. And make your nests amongst the stars. From Judah we look up into your mighty hills and your, your valleys and your rocks. And the fact that you can't, can't be captured. And we look at you and we see you soaring. You're amazing. From there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Why would God do that? To a nation that is part of the covenant connection. It's the issue that can bring any of us down. It is the issue that can destroy us. It is the issue that can pollute our lives. It is the spiritual issue that we must be terrified of. Whether you're a church, whether you're a man of God, whoever you are, it is an issue that we must so, so avoid. It is the pride of of your heart. Pride destroys. Pride is what brought the Edomites down. Being arrogant, being aloof, being gloating. You see, Babylon came in with all of their armies and their force. And in the ancient world, when you wanted to be rich in the ancient world, right away up to probably even 200 years ago, 100 years ago, and of course the last century where, where Hitler invaded Europe, when you got land, when you got slaves, when you got treasure, when you got gold, that made you powerful and rich. And the Babylonians invaded did, took the slaves, took the gold, took everything. That's why the Vikings invaded Europe. That's why uh, colonialism took place, because it's the raw materials. Today, it's different. Countries do not tend to invade each other to rule them. They tend to impoverish them and take over their debt and lend them money and control them through politics and through so many different areas. That's why China's not invading other countries or, or Russia or so on, although it's a little bit of that going on in the UK. Ukraine, of course, but generally the plan to become wealthy is not by taking gold and silver. The plan to be wealthy is through manipulating the money markets and stock markets and power and political, a kind of subversive. But here, Babylonians came in, they took away the slaves, they took away the people, the remnants were left, the Edomites look at this, they were proud, they came down from the hills and they started burning the villages taking the uh, people, uh, the weak people that the Babylonians didn't want and they started to take them and to scavenge. They went from being eagles to becoming vultures. 
And pride is what brought them down. Now in Romans 12 and verse 3, the apostle says, listen, people, you may think that you are pretty amazing. You may think that you are incredible. You may think that you have awesome skills. But in verse 3, he says, I want you to take sober judgment of who you are and understand your limitations. And I believe that pride can pollute us and it's a spiritual stronghold that can grab hold of our lives and can take us from being a powerful position. And often we quote, you know, pride comes before a fall. That's not scriptural, of course, because pride comes before destruction is the biblical way. And so we understand that, that, that we, we, we look at ourselves and it is a very challenging thing to look at ourselves and say, what are my limitations? Where am I weak? How do I fail? What are my limitations in this relationship? What are my limitations in my business? I look at myself with a sober judgment and not feed myself with a sense of arrogance, a sense of aloofness, a sense of being proud, a sense of putting yourself above others. You see, it's right the way through the Bible and God will oppose us. He'll discipline us for our arrogance and for our proudness. Geographically, they're above the rest and Spiritually, they felt they were above the rest. Politically, they felt they could take advantage of poor old Judah. But God hated the heart of the pride. Look at Nebuchadnezzar, how he hated the way that Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 and 4 built a great golden statue. Or in Acts, how God looked at Herod in Acts chapter 12 and saw him speaking words of arrogance and pride and strength. And an angel came down in the New Testament, struck him and worms took hold of him. And the scripture says that because of his Arrogance. God hates kings. God hates rulers who are full of pride and through arrogance. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar was, was stricken. He was brought to nothing. He was humbled before the living God. What about the story of Ruth, of course, of uh, Esther? And we have the story of of uh, Mordecai, the man who was a Jew, who was there, who was willing to serve and to love and be humble. And we have Haman, who is trying to eradicate him, to get rid of him. And he builds even gallows for him. And he says, I'm going to hang that Mordecai on those gallows in his pride and in his arrogance. And yet the same gallows he bought for Mordecai, he swung from those gallows. See, pride has an ability that we think we're awesome and we build our gallows for something else, somebody else, but has an ability that it actually hangs us out. Pride affects the way we talk. It affects the way that we are. Though you saw, thieves will come down. See, the Edenites went down and became the thieves, became the robbers, became these 
sort of scavengers out of their arrogance. But the Lord says, you're going to know this. You're going to lose everything. And if you gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in that day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. Do you have people, do I, that when somebody goes, a competitor, goes through trouble, you gloat inside? Do you go through times when your pride and your arrogance, that when you hear of misfortune to somebody that has mistreated you in some way, you rejoice? You don't tell anybody. You'd be far too, you know, polite for that. Do I, when... Something happens to somebody or a situation. I remember I was in a prayer meeting with a group of pastors. It was probably 20 years ago. It was the largest, past, the largest churches in our region. And we got together and there were some pretty large egos in that room. But there were some pretty awesome egos in that room. And we got together and we would, you know, ministerially and they'd get together, tell stories about how their church is growing. I did 60 people this week. I did this, I did that. It was just, uh, you know, oh, it was so depressing because I was leading the smallest church and I, don't know, I may have just heard the meeting and turned up. And so after about three or four meetings, one of the pastors said, My daughter is a pole dancer in London and it's tearing me to pieces. She's raised, he was a, led the largest Pentecostal church in the area, raised in church, but now she's lost in London. And my arrogance, he said, and my pride stopped me from reaching her in the way that I should have reached as a father. He said, I want to confess to you, brothers, never forget this moment, that I'm full of pride and full of arrogance. I want to confess that when people come from your church to my church, they walk through the door, I greet them. They say, I no longer, I used to go to this church, but I want to come to your church. I go, I say this to them, oh, well, really be prayerful about that and make sure you leave well and make sure you do that. And then he looked at us all and he said, but in my heart, I'm going, yes, another family, another, yes, that's awesome. He said, they're not even my people. They're not even raised in our house. They're not even my tithes. But I rejoice because of the failure there that I'm benefiting here. And when he confessed that, the Holy Spirit fell. Those pastors sought God. They repented. And it taught me an awesome lesson. As a young pastor... And so we started to work together. I can't tell you the whole story. But it finished off with a series of four all-night prayer meetings amongst our churches. And on our, one of our great nights, all-night prayer meeting in the heart of Britain, we had 3,000 people 
come out and pray all night for Britain that revival would come. What broke that? What changed it? It was that we were willing to lay down the arrogance and the pride of our hearts. And each one of us has to deal with the pride and the arrogance and the judgmental and the aloofness because God opposes the proud. In in Scripture bodily, the arrogance and proudness is in the lips, the way we speak. It's in the heart, the way we think. It's in the eyes, the way we look at people, the way we look down from our eagle's nest, the way that we do these things. And yet in life, God calls us. And he says, of course, in the last part of Obadiah, from verse 15 onwards, that he'll restore all things. He'll bring deliverance to Judah. They'll possess their inheritance. And Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame. But Esau will be a stubble. And in our spiritual life, I want to be a fire. I want to be a flame. And I know what extinguishes the intimacy and the power of Christ and God in my life. It is arrogance. It is ego. It is pride. It is not being a servant of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And every one of us battle with that. What are you arrogant about? They will set him on fire and destroy. But there's a great word. Deliver will go up on the Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Always that motif. So what is the power of pride in our lives? Well, pride is most highlighted by the story of Lucifer and Satan. The key key worshipper, the one with all the glory, the one in the glory of heaven and how Isaiah prophesies about and uses a parallel of Lucifer's great fall, of how you've fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. And the spiritual pollution of pride that we should all be terrified of starts in the heart. Starts in the way we think of others. It starts in the heart as we look. You see, the fruits of this ugly thing called pride is that it eventually brings disgrace. Prideful people are always argumentative, always poking, always quarreling. It breeds disunity because there's an arrogance and not a humility, because there's not a closeness. And when we root out pride, we become less argumentative in our relationships. When we root out pride, we, we, uh, we, we, we start to honour people. We start to bless people. We start to speak well of them. It brings that humility that comes. So we know from Timothy, Timothy chapter 6, it talks about, uh, about that whole area is that, that the fruits of pride are 
ignorance and strife and meaningless debate and envy. Evil surmising, well, what about this? How do they think about this? You set your mind. The human mind is designed to linger longer on the negative than ever on the positive. They know this. They, psychologists have done tests. Human propensity towards negativity and condemnation and being negative is prevalent in who we are. You see, you look at the economy and, the, and, the, and we're down on the economy. And, and they can see this emotionally. But the economy grows. But they look at the line of people's opinion and it takes almost five times as long for the opinion of people about the economy to change, to get in line with what is actually happening. We learn to be negative. We learn to be critical. We learn to be prideful. We learn to do this. And it takes energy to bless. It takes energy to be thankful. It takes energy to write in our journals all the things we rejoice in, all the things we're grateful for about that person that we are annoyed with. It takes that energy. We live in biblical error and greed and these areas affect our lives. But the goal is this. It's humility. In many ways, Obadiah is a little picture of humanity that we are in a great position and because of our pride, our selfishness and our sinfulness, we fall just like humanity fell because of that pride in the garden, because of that desire to be more. But the New Testament teaches us that we should clothe ourselves in humility. That we should approach each other with grace and humility. And all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. We know God opposes the proud because right the way through Scripture, God has dealt with cities, nations, Kings, prophets, queens who have become proud. So why is it that rarely do we ever have pastoral conversations about pride? Why is it we have lots about pornography, lots about struggling, pain, Sickness and illness, but pride or humility. It is a journey to humble oneself. See, when you're humble, you choose to listen to others. When you're humble, you choose to be continuously teachable. When you're humble, you don't jump to the negative conclusions. When you are humble, 
You want the success of others and not the failures of others. When you are humble, you will work towards the goodness of others and the success of others. And even though you are an eagle soaring, you look down on others and you come down and you help them to soar themselves. When you are humble, you don't steal glory and things from other people. You don't become a thief. You become a servant in your journey with the Lord. The river of God, or any river, always heads down. Always heads down to the lowest point, which is the ocean. And I know in my own walk, if I want springs of living water, if I want the river of God to flow through me, then I have to go down in humility, in grace, in love. have to be willing to say. And humility brings so many good fruits. When we eradicate pride and work at that, humility reflects godly character. It's associated that from a position of humility towards others, great wisdom grows in one's heart. A meekness comes. So much you could write about this. And I think from Obadiah, we learn a very simple message. That God opposes those whose hearts are proud. And it takes a lot of spiritual guts to lay down our arrogance our judgment, our aloofness. It takes a lot of guts to want the welfare and the blessing of all those around us. Says Obadiah. Now you've heard a sermon on Obadiah. So next time he says, have you heard a sermon on Obadiah? You say, yes, 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 I did. It was mildly depressing, but quite inspiring. <laughs> Let's stand together. Ask the Lord a question. And that question is, where in my life, Lord, if this is such a critical issue in the whole of the Bible, and seven deadly sins, how can, show me, Lord, where there's an area of my life and my attitude and the way that I am. that I need to root out pride and bring humility there. Where? Where is that area? Where do I need you to work, Lord? To minister and to speak. And the Holy Spirit may surprise you and whisper to you and say, you know the way that you are? You know the way you speak to that significant other? You know the way that you are in that job, in that career? You know the way you are around 
brothers and sisters in Christ. The way you view other people in the community. And then confession and repentance has a way of pulling our pride out of the ground. Hallelujah. You know, as we sing, some people asked at the end of the service that they receive prayer for healing and prayerfulness for problems they're facing. So if that's you and at the end, as we worship now, you would like to receive prayer in any way, just feel free to come. I know there's a lot of needs and people requesting. So as we worship finally, come and uh, be blessed and we'd love to put our arms around you and pray for you, whether it's a bodily need or a spiritual need. Um, or anything you want the Lord to do for you uh, this time as we finish is open. Amen.